Hi, my name is Dr. Kavan Sanger. I'm a practicing doctor of clinical psychology and I also have a PhD in neuroscience. Hi, I'm Dave. I'm an actor. That's it. We're also a couple. And during the pandemic, we've spent far too long in each other's company, having interdisciplinary discussions and watching films. And like many couples stuck in an echo chamber, we've developed illusions of grandeur that our opinions are one, valid, and two, interesting to other people. (laughs) So we've decided to make them public, looking at films and their main protagonists through the lens of a psychologist and an actor. What motivates and drives their actions? What's film intending speak louder than words? And what things just really don't make that much sense? In our opinion, anyway. We'll leave that for you to decide. So today we're looking at Gone Girl. Um, it was made in 2014. It was uh, directed by David Fincher, um, who, for those of you who don't know David Fincher, he directed Seven and and The Zodiac. Um, so those were his those were his big ones before this. I don't think you've seen either of those films, have you? Yes, I have. Oh, have you? Actually, yeah. <sighs> I I thought we'd actually talked about how you've not seen Seven. I feel bad now. I'm a ter- <laughs> I'm a terrible girlfriend. <laughs> Awful. You don't know anything about me. <laughs> But a year, only ourselves to speak to. And I still don't know your film tastes. <laughs> oh, God, you're despicable. Anyway, great start. <laughs> Wonderful. As with the last episode, um, and what we'd like to keep on doing is, now you know the uh, story we're going to cover and the film we're going to cover, and we're going to give you three seconds to tune out um, in case you haven't seen it and you don't want the spoilers. Um, or if you just, just fancy listening anyway, then great, cool. Three second countdown. Three, two, one off. One. <laughs> cool. So we'll just give you a quick redo on it. The story of Nick and Amy Dunn, who after two years of marriage, have to move back to Nick's hometown in Missouri. Uh, I won't do the accident. It'd be really bad. Uh, following his mother's fatal cancer diagnosis. Having also discovered that Nick is having an affair, Amy uses their fifth anniversary to disappear after setting up to look like Nick has brutally murdered her. All this occurs within the context of Nick and Amy being two out-of-work writers, dissatisfied with life and their relationship. Amy's parents um, had written throughout her childhood a series of successful children's books, which painted her life in an idealised manner. Amy describes herself as not ever living up to these fictional Amazing Amy stories. After a month-long investigation and media frenzy, Amy returns. Having originally planned to kill herself, she is robbed and, through no other option, organises a stay at her infatuated rich ex-boyfriend Desi's place. After spending a whole month planning, she then kills Desi and sets him up to look as if he raped her. The world falls over Amy and her ordeal. Meanwhile, Nick is not sure if this was the case and tries to leave her before finding out Amy is pregnant with his child. couple of themes that we will be discussing today are domestic abuse in its many forms, violence, difficult attachment styles and personality disorders, and different views of how we raise children and what a family looks like, I guess. So yeah, yeah, again, think about whether this is going to be an interesting discussion for you, or if a different episode would be more helpful for you at the moment. 
And if you want to stay listening, I hope you enjoy our discussion. Thanks, guys. Yeah, enjoy our discussion, guys. <laughs> <laughs> was was that you wanting to just make sure that you had the first say this week? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn right. <laughs> Are we ballers? <laughs> I I found what was actually quite interesting when we decided to do Gone Girl was that um, we instantly thought that different people were the main character. That's a very good point. I'm going to get in there first. So I get the first say. Um, I think uh, Ben Affleck, Nick, is the main character, mainly because uh, a couple of reasons. One, the camera's mostly on him um, and his trials and tribulations. And also, he's the main one on IMDb. <laughs> so. Oh, he's also the man, though. Come on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is interesting because we we pick characters based on who is the main protagonist, and I would argue that Amy is the main protagonist in this film. Does she not facilitate him? Well, that's what I mean. She she's the the facilitator, the orchestrator behind everything that occurs in this film just because she isn't the the predominant character that we see doesn't mean that she's not in charge pulling the strings at all times right so she's not the predominant character okay that's an interesting point is, is this is this you just getting your own back because last time was was all about a guy and you're like no i want it to be about a woman this time i did i did <laughs> specifically ask could we do a film with a strong female character <laughs> I love that your suggestion was then a woman who is arguably quite unhinged. I mean... No I'm answer. Gonna have the <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, no problem, darling. You know, if, if you want a strong female character, we can have a strong female character. You know, Ophelia in Hamlet. It's fine. Oh, wow. Strong female character. <laughs> oh, wow. I will ne- Do you know, I will never forgive William Shakespeare for having ruined... <laughs> Ruining the name Ophelia, which is a beautiful name. Yeah, it is. By making that the weakest, most rubbish female character ever. You know when you just have connotations for certain names, and unfortunately, darling, I could never name a child Ophelia. Um, we are massively deviating, though. Yeah, This massively. This could become us talking about whether we're going to have kids or not, so let's change I the subject. Mean, let's change right now. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. So, you you go for it, Garnon. I wanted to bring more of a general discussion today. It was it was really it's interesting. It's about a guy, not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Gone Girl. Yeah, but she's gone. She's not there. She's not part of the story. Oh, the patriarchy. <laughs> um. Watching it as a psychologist, I really struggled to place what happened to Amy and what made her the way she is and how I would consider her. I I had to go back and consult my books before (laughs) recording this. Um, I've noticed there's lots of discussions about Amy's character being a prototypical psychopath. You know, this very unfeeling unempathetic, cold, calculating character. And she is. She is definitely those things. I can, I can definitely see that. 
Mm. Yeah, because you, you look you look at her the, the whole time and she is unfeeling. There's essences of mm. emotion, but it's calculated with an end goal in mind. Yeah. Or it's the way it seems. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, it's very like egocentric, isn't it? It's very much directed at her. Uh, yeah, massively, massively. She doesn't seem to massively care about the feelings of others. Not really. Mm. I mean, like, as you go through the story, you find out that she got an ex on the the sex offenders register, for mm. example. Like, mm. it was, she doesn't care. She will happily do you over mm. and go and get her nails done. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Uh, yeah, and and I could see where that's that's then where people will kind of like just go with a straight up label of like she was born this way, she w- you know doesn't have the capacity for empathy. She is the the femme fatale figure, but I think that's quite convenient, and I I think she's actually a lot more complicated than that. I think that she was, you know, she's probably further up that spectrum of psychopathy where she has less empathy than maybe a lot of the population are are born with the capacity for but actually i mean they go into her childhood in this film and this idea that her parents kind of recreated what her her childhood should have been and what she should have been that's pretty harsh yeah, yeah. They even say, don't they? So, like, when um, uh, there's a scene quite early on where they're going to a fake engagement party for Amazing Amy because in the books she's getting married and the real Amy isn't. Um, and they go through the series of books. So Amy's walking with Nick, who's her boyfriend at the time, and sort of pointing out these are, you know, this is the history of my childhood but made perfect and she points to how the year that she gave up cello amazing amy was you know noticed as a prodigy there's another one about riding is that right yeah a pony or it was some kind of sport wasn't it yeah i think so yeah and she did quite well but not as well as amazing amy because you know amazing amy is the is the ideal child Mm. which that is going to affect you somehow it's just this communication that she's never been good enough. Ever. And I kind of felt for her. But then I don't know if that's actually part of um, a skilled um, psychopath's ability to manipulate people. I, I don't know. I wouldn't have thought so. Like It seems pretty obvious from the outside that that's harsh. Mm. Like If for your parents to go, yeah, yeah, you, you're good. But not as good as this imaginary person that I'm making up in order to mm. like make us feel better. Yeah, and to profit off. Yeah. Like they they profited massively um, off a, a fictitious version of their one and only daughter. <laughs> it's just harsh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which leads me to think that maybe it's more narcissism. So sociopathy and psychopathy can be uh, put together under an umbrella term of antisocial personality disorders. Sorry, can I just stick my hand up at this point? Yeah. Um, Sociopathy? So so being a sociopath as opposed to a psychopath. Which is the difference is... Debatable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What you can't see is Kev just 
cracked her knuckles. <laughs> like, she is ready for this now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's an argument that um, a sociopath is more impulsive, more likely to be aggressive and violent than a psychopath. I've also known people to kind of define it as a psychopath has zero empathy, whereas a sociopath, there's still sort of that small voice of conscience, but it's just not loud enough to make them be concerned about it. Right, because my, my understanding of a sociopath was, sociopaths, were the, they're, the, they're the really dangerous individuals. Mm. Like like the Joker, for example. Yeah. And uh, But a psychopath is somebody that like will figure it out bit by bit, like, a, like American Psycho. So it's the sociopaths that I feel... That I'd be really scared of. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right way of doing it, or if, if that's like, no, what you're on about, you should be shit scared of psychopaths, not sociopaths. Uh, of course, it, you know, if they have bad intentions, like they they, they may just be normal people walking around. <laughs> uh, it's absolutely fine. I love that you made that point. Yeah, so I, I think you could, you know, argue that you should be wary of both um, because their motivations are always going to be more self serving than they are to be, you know, serving their community, for that, example. That's why they make good business people. Uh, yes, yes. And that's where you see that there's actually lots of people um, further down the spectrum of that kind of antisocial personality disorder, um, but they are ruthlessly efficient and they will get stuff done. So as long as your aims marry up with theirs, they could be a great business partner. For Amy... I actually think she probably has a little bit less empathy than many people, the way that she was born. However, it really feels like she's sort of been the product of an unmet need for love and unconditional affection from her parents, which has mean that she's grown up to believe that one, she's not good enough, and that's going to be a massive trigger for her. So whenever she feels that she's not given adoration, she's going to be feeling really insecure and she's going to lash out. Her ex-boyfriend, who she then accused of rape and he was put on the sex offenders register, it was because he was distancing himself from her. He'd kind of realised, wow, this woman is a lot of work. And he wanted to distance himself from the relationship they'd only been together a few months it kind of feels like she picked up on that as rejection and she can't handle that I think she's probably had a long history of having to handle that from her parents people that she can't you know just distance herself from she still wants their love so when someone else does it she's gonna get her own back what do you reckon you should have been like at school or would she have been like the the popular girl, or would she be like because having those kind of traits would have made you pretty popular in in my high school, for example. It's it's self-serving, isn't it? The mm. I'm not saying all popular girls are self-serving, but you know, <laughs> the uh, the traits. So whether it's um, antisocial personality disorder or narcissism, what they do have in common is that they are incredibly charming people. Or can be. Yeah, very self-serving. They can be a hell of a lot of fun. I think as long as their needs are being met, it's okay. Um, obviously, person to person, it's going to be a bit different. But like, isn't that different from everybody? Everybody, as long as my needs are being met, then I'm, I'm quite happy. You know, it, like, li- live, live with you. Like, as long as my needs are met, 
I'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I stop making you crumbles, you'll be out. Making you... What? As soon as you stop making me crumbles? Oh, I have none of it. I'll have none of it sang <laughs> All right, fine. You make the crumbles. <laughs> All right. When I stop making banana bread for you. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but uh, I, I would argue all of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about it's always about getting your needs met whoever right. we're talking about just because um, it's something that as a society we then class as being a, a mental health disorder uh, pfft, it, it's still about getting your needs met so for someone who is a narcissist there's probably an unmet need about social adoration and unconditional worship Whereas with a antisocial personality disorder, um, it's a need to be on top, to be that alpha. So it's always about an unmet need, um, mm. and this is how they functionally get that. Um, I think I'd be really interested to hear from you, though, what came across, or, or your understanding as an actor, how, how is she meant to be portrayed? Because for me, it seems more like narcissism than it does psychopathy um but I, I i don't know is there something from more the like the literary view of how it was written or how it was meant to be portrayed that should have been one or the other oh okay well well right so you're saying that or you're arguing that she's not a psychopath that she's actually a narcissist yeah but did we watch the same film? Because right, <laughs> right at the start, just when he's stroking her hair and, and, and talking about her, mm. that's not the look of a narcissist. I'd say she's nuts. Like, she's... I'd say she's definitely a psychopath. But my understanding of a psychopath is, like, oh, yeah, she's psycho. Rather than... Rather than clinical definition. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so that's what you're leaning back on, is it? You're like, oh, in my professional opinion, always, rather than... Always. I will sit very nicely in that ivory tower of safe <laughs> of science. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, I can be safe behind those walls. It's wonderful. <laughs> Can't throw stones at me. <laughs> no. Um, I, I guess so. I think my argument, though, is that if she is being portrayed as a psychopath, psychopath, as I would understand it, yeah, she's got less empathy and she is more self-serving. But also she's kind of been the product of a bit of a harsh upbringing and it's incredibly triggering for her when when people reject her in any way and she really lashes out. But there are these moments where she can be considerate, like the fact that she did give most of her trust fund away, even though her and her husband were at risk of being made redundant at that point. Let's just like put this in perspective. Her trust fund, which was a million dollars, <laughs> yeah, and she gives away eight hundred grand of it. Mm. Like, what? On, were they buying a boat? What was the issue there? Because mm. that is an outrageous amount of money. She's got some unmet, unmet needs there from her parents. She gave them back eight hundred grand, then. Her and her husband were made redundant. They had to move out of New York to go and look after Nick's mum, who was dying of cancer. And at no point did her parents say, would you like some of that money back? 
I'm sure you've got financial issues too. At no point do they do that. But, I mean, they're still given a, around £200,000, mm. which I'm sure that would be enough to see them through. And I know, like, that in the film it says, you know, after two years, then they left uh, New York, and three years later, then this is when it all happens. But to burn through £200,000 in three years... Mm. I mean, did you see the size of the house that they rented? It was pretty big. That is enormous. Mm. I, I like by British standards, at least. Um, I'm not necessarily a favour with the American housing market in in Missouri. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it does seem quite a quite a large purchase. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think this kind of goes more towards this narcissist angle. She needs a grandiose image to sell. Um, even though her and her husband aren't working, she kind of... And she, her character talks all the way through like that she is better than those around her. I think there's a real need to be to be better and to be seen as better. Yeah, but she, like, she wants to be seen as better, but that's it. She doesn't want to actually be be part of a community. No. Like, like they've been there three years and she doesn't even know like the people on the street. Mm. Um, Until it works in her favour when she's trying to befriend a local so that, you know, she can cast dispersions against her husband to that person. That is the only time that she gets to know people. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you know, a narcissist needs an audience. It's not like she looked for an additional audience. So the thing that I want to bring people's attention to about this film is Amy's eyes and about blinking in films which okay. may sound yeah it may sound ridiculous but there's certain characters that just don't blink like you think um, Hannibal Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs for example like he he does blink but it's all calculated because when you think of a film that's on the big screen like on the cinema and then a blink or just a simple eye movement from like just to the side of the camera to well away is a big action and it conveys so much information and we we as the audience we want to know where they're looking what they're looking at so a blink tells more than just like what you're looking at for example it it suggests about a person they can be a weaker person for example and somebody who doesn't blink is then perceived as very strong or crazy as Rosamund Pike in this film so is it because it's almost um it's an unnatural rate that she's blinking at is that what makes her seem different yeah because everything that is on screen is calculated like the the guy that directed this film he shot 500 hours of footage whoa in 100 days which is outrageous and which number one to shoot 500 hours of film for on a hollywood film would cost a bomb (laughs) (laughs) that would cost an outrageous amount of money but yeah a ridiculous amount of shots to get exactly the right one Hmm. And so you think about every moment on screen is precisely what he wanted. I mean, like, for example, all the shots of people when they're inside houses with the outside, you can see it's all green screen. What? All the windows are like, they've got a covering of a green screen on every window. So it's all fake. So they, they they could have shot, I don't know where they shot it, but they could have shot it in like, I don't know, Iceland. No way. Yeah. Because of the um, the aperture, or to change the focus on a person to then outside, 
it would have um, it would like the camera would have blown up like not blown up but um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> be outrageous <laughs> we need a new camera come on guys um but the um the amount of light coming into the camera would have would have caused massive fluctuation and so they weren't able to do it so that's why every every uh, window was boarded up with a green screen no weird yeah okay so it so it, it, it there's massive deliberation in every detail is that what you say and like the blinking is one of them absolutely yeah um so to see somebody not blinking on on screen can have a, a, a big effect on the audience. Like if if I'm looking down a camera lens at you, then you feel like you're being looked at. Mm. That your eyes won't go anywhere else. If there's somebody on the screen and they are looking directly at you, mm. or if somebody has quite a lot of their like eyes that are seen, like quite a lot of the whites of their eyes, it's going to draw your attention. Because you know if you're walking down the street and somebody looks at you, you you automatically look back don't you like yeah. it's it's hard to not look at somebody who's looking at you and it's exactly the same with an actor on screen mm. is that when they are looking in, in your general direction it doesn't need to be at you it can be just the, just to one side of the camera um for example when she looks at at nick when he's stroking her hair it's just a single like single look up and in that moment because of the huge whites of her eyes it portrays so much information mm. in just a moment mm. And what is it about that moment? Because you, you said earlier, like, that's the moment immediately you were like, this woman is is nuts. She's a psycho. What was it about that? It's almost the contrast between so much going on in their eyes and there being, like, no emotion given away. Okay. So there's no emotion in her face given away, really. Mm. Because at that moment, like, she's looking at you, but... Oh, she's not looking at you. <laughs> she's looking at me. And it's like, in that moment, she's looking at Nick... And she's taking all that information in because the, her eyes are so wide apart. But you can't read anything on her. Mm. And that, for me, is quite scary. Like, if somebody was just looking at you like that, it would be... I'd find it terrifying. And she's actually like that throughout the whole film, isn't she? she there's never any... There really isn't that much emotion on her face no, at any point. No, no, she, she's always taking information in. Mm. And she's not giving anything back. No. And that is a... A very scary idea, and that is exactly what Rosamund Pike is doing in those moments, or Amy Dunn is doing in those moments. Mm-hmm. Is she is making you uncomfortable, but you can't look away. I wonder about the evolutionary function of that, because there's a, there's a big thing in more evolutionary psychology where we look at what is it about a face which is different. So. Um, there's a certain area of the brain called the fusiform facial area. Its its only function is to analyse and interpret faces. So we actually process faces differently to any other object that we see. So if we see someone who um, has like furrowed brows and maybe thin eyes, then we think, oh, they're angry. Okay, that there maybe is something dangerous about this person and I now need to prepare myself. Whereas if they're wider, maybe they're afraid or maybe they're excited. So again, that that tells us something very different. So I wonder if there's something about the way that she's actually communicating with then the audience or not, which is actually really scary. So what you're not not telling the viewer here is, uh, is that you did your master's and your undergrad on interpreting faces. Is that that correct? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I'm busted. 
Yes, I wrote my my undergrad um, thesis was looking at how we interpret faces um, and how we respond to faces. So I am being a bit cheeky. I so have I have prior knowledge on this. So you use all this knowledge to then ascertain exactly if I'm telling the truth or if I'm telling a lie or or who ate the last pork pie. <laughs> That's always you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, that's such a that's such a cliche, isn't it? That, that the psychologist knows when someone's lying. I never know. I'm rubbish yet, at it. Yet, it. yet it is kind of true. In this, instance. so so was um, if you'd have if you'd have had a chat with Amy, would you have known that she was lying? You can't just nod and be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's not good enough. Um, do you know? I uh, it's an interesting one. So if I was say in a session with her, then I might know some of the backstory. So I may be already um, professionally aware that what she's communicating may not be the same as her intentions, or there might be a lot underneath that she's not giving away. Um, whereas if I was just meeting her on the street, I might think that she's really lovely and charming. Yeah, but that's the thing about a narcissist, isn't it? Is that. Aha, you do agree with me, narcissist. No, I'm, sa- I'm saying, I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. with your understanding and with your take on it, then that would feed in also, wouldn't it? Thank you. Yes, it would. But it, it would also if it was um, antisocial personality disorder, they can also come across that way. But uh, I suppose either way, coming back to this idea that they, they take, but they give only what they intend to. You can get sucked in by it. Because they might give away a certain amount to kind of lure you in, but make it, would, you feel safe. it would all be a. It would all be a. They would know exactly how much they were going to give away, and mm. how much they wouldn't. Like I know exactly how much you're giving away for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm interested where what you were mentioning about the eyes and blinking. Is there from your training? Like, are there there certain things about about the eyes or the mouth? Are there certain parts of the face which actually you're you're sort of trained how to use and she might be then communicating in her performance yes I was trained how to use my face (laughs) I tried making that sound cleverer (laughs) you know what I mean yeah yeah I do Um, yeah the the eyes are certainly for for screen acting the eyes are everything Um, it's so important because so much can be given away from that of course stage stage acting is different um, because the audience are a bit further away and your voice is more important in that moment for example but certainly on on screen and on a big screen like cinema it's going to be so important is the eyes the eyes um, and uh, the ears Uh, no not the ears ears? (laughs) just because your ears are a major selling point (laughs) The, the eyes are the, are the main the main part which is almost ridiculous because like when you think about it like how can you express so much from just your eyes the eye itself it's just the the, the, um, the retina if it, if it gets bigger or smaller more or less yeah or if you squint you know mm, but people do they do and just those those two those three factors but it has such a a big impact on mm. the audience mm. and in film and TV a lot of what is said and conveyed is on the reaction rather than 
rather than the person that's speaking. Mm-hmm. You get they feed you the line, it cuts to the other person, and you see their face, or you don't even see the person speaking necessarily. It's just the other person's reaction, mm-hmm. and it becomes such a, a key part of of filmmaking and of, of TV that you wouldn't necessarily realise. And then when you, you see, if you see it again, you'd be like, oh yeah, that does happen. Mm. I I want to watch people blinking or not blinking now actually because that must be really difficult to control yeah but th- there are there are tricks there are tricks to, to how you do it oh go on tell me not. tell me um legit you just hold your eyes open <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one um, <laughs> but with like with things like crying as well like there's ways that you can do it like apart from emotion memory yawning but holding it back. So you yawn, but like, don't open your mouth. What? Yeah, and if you keep on doing it, like a tear, a tear will start to form um, in the in the side of your eye. Well, um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's something that I perfected at drama school. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another way to uh, not blink is you let your eyes sort of go out of focus, and then you are looking, but you're not looking at a certain point. But that doesn't matter because you don't actually have to be looking at the person that you're speaking to. You you probably just got a camera in your face, um, and if you're lucky, you've got somebody there, a person in order to look at, and then you look at the eye closest to the camera, um, and you don't. That's the point. So you wouldn't look, uh, wouldn't look at both of their eyes, not at the same time. That's weird as fuck. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like when you're looking at somebody on screen, you only look at one eye, in a in a close up. So it's just just your face. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd only look at like the eye closest to the camera. Because if you moved across the other eye, as you would when you're normally speaking to somebody and looking mm. at them, then it would be such big movements on screen. Like, I, I have friends with that have like problems with not being able to keep their eyes set on a certain point, and it has affected certain castings that they can't just can't go for. Really? Yeah. Because it would what make them look erratic. Uh, yeah, or they, or they can only go for certain characters because of it. No matter how talented they are, like puts them into a certain a category. So, so if people are constantly having to not blink, does that mean that whenever I see people on screen talking to each other, they actually are just looking at fuzzy blobs? <laughs> Even in Hannibal Lecter, Sonny Hopkins, he blinks, but they are very definitely timed, mm. and he knows exactly when he's going to do it. But in the moments when you you see his with the whites of his eyes, and there's important moments when he's talking about, and they like. Eating somebody in the eating somebody with liver, you know, eating somebody's liver. Yeah. Yeah, even in the moments where you eat somebody's liver. With a nice Chianti. Yeah, very good. Oh God. Uh, <laughs> then, those moments he's very definitely chosen not to blink. You look at like um, Interstellar, for example, um, when they realise that there's a big ass wave gonna come and take him out, and then they don't blink either. Like it's a it's a moment of, oh shit, which is projected onto you, and because of you can see the whites of their eyes, it invokes panic in you. Okay, so I, I'm focusing on that scene because it was something that really invoked this kind of uh, interpretation in you that she is psycho. But that scene that they start on and then end the film on, so her mm. uh, having her hair stroked by Nick, her husband, and then her looking up. You've got this mix of a very 
kind of almost flat affect face that you can't read, but with also these big unblinking eyes with a lot of the whites of the eyes shown. I guess it sounds like then that's giving you both this feeling of unease because you can't read her, but also a sense of panic because that's what the whites of eyes sort of communicate to the 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 seer. I, absolutely, but it's not just that scene. Like you, you look at the the shower scene, for example. She doesn't um, blink. Like, does she not? No. There's water going in her eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. If she's mean, not blinking. Like when when the whites of her eyes are shown on screen. I'm I'm sure she blinks. Like <laughs> Rosamund, I'm, I'm sure you blink. Um, but in those moments, portraying that character, mm. then the an actor can choose not to blink, mm. and. It, it does take practice and training like it's not just as simple as oh I'm just not going to blink no I've had so um, I've done uh, neuroscience experiments where um, you're not allowed to blink but it but it is really difficult to actually think about like right okay I can't blink for the next like 10 seconds or so while I'm doing this that's hard enough so the idea of acting and sort of doing that for what was it 500 hours uh, yeah, I, <laughs> that's overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just, just of Rosamund Pike's face. <laughs> I think a lot of people could look at Rosamund Pike's face for 500 hours. That's quite a long time. Like, I, I'd, I'd definitely give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it was a wonderful film. It made me think a lot. Um, I'm still not 100% sure... Oh, I can't, I can't make her out. But I guess actually that's just to show that she did it really well because she's meant to be a character you can't figure out. So I guess that's she's done a good job, maybe. Definite psychopath. <laughs> there you go, Dave. Dave is certain. Yeah. I am not. Definitely. So, what would you say is the thing you'd change about the film then? I think there's there's two possibles for me. Um, no, what? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, two, two uh, <laughs> Um There's the incident where she's robbed, and that's kind of the first point in this film where her plan goes awry. And She goes crazy. She, well, does she, though? She has a moment where she screams into a pillow... And then she gets into a car and she drives off. And that's kind of all we see of that. Um, and as someone who, you know, likes to think of myself as relatively stable, um, I'm really awful when, when plans don't go the way I meant them to. And it was an important plan to me. I freak out for quite a while. You do? I do. <laughs> um, quite a while. Days. Yes. Weeks. Yeah. It can be. It can be. Um, she's crazy folks she's crazy (laughs) but I would like to see from her a bit more of how she managed that because she whatever we kind of class her as she's someone who very much needs to control the situation and she needs to control the people in that situation and that's a point where she's completely out of control and she's being dominated by other people. And she's being dominated by somebody who she, in her, in her mind, she's classed as were, like not as good as her. Absolutely. Especially, yeah. Yeah, yeah, much lesser than her. Because, I mean, she chose to go to a trailer park. Like, mm-hmm. 
as as a way of staying under the radar. And then she meets this woman who is a bit like, talkative. She doesn't necessarily want to have a chat with her, but you know. And then they they take advantage of the fact that she is a woman on her own. They realise that she's got some money on her, and, and that she's got something to hide. Yeah, and that she's got something to hide. Very immoral characters. And they take all of her money. And there was nothing that she could do about it. And interestingly, they're the two characters that she never gets vengeance on either. If it was Gone Girl 2, I think that might happen there. I, yeah, I would like, I would agree. Rain down shit on them. She would find them, I think. Like, from her rediscovered position of power, I think she really would. She's not the kind to let that go. And I think I think it'd be interesting to kind of see a bit more of that turmoil either that or a different thing just a moment of her going from deliberately showing emotion to it completely then falling away because that scares me so much i've seen you as an actor doing that and it's terrifying as an actor Mm, Mm. mm. (laughs) but you have that skill and she definitely has that skill of being able to manipulate her face to serve her ends and it'd be I think it'd be really cool to just see a scary moment of her being able to do that maybe when she was undercover um, mm. you know maybe because she put on an accent didn't she so maybe yeah. also putting on a slightly jovial personality to go with it and then it just and falling just away drop. yeah mm. for me that that would be that would be interesting again it really wouldn't help me to narrow down whether I think that she's you know more psychopath or narcissist but it would be a cool moment yeah I, I that point links quite nicely into mine is that I'd like to see the thought process when they go to bed for example and when they go to bed it's, it's night time so you, and the light's off so you can't see it but I want to see either one of their thought processes mm. as they interact with another, with the other like it can be just like on the phone for example if like I don't know you need to go shopping or whatever but in the same way as you I want to see that facade drop mm. Because for both of them, actually, when she goes back, it is then it's all about, again, this socially constructed narrative of what their life is about. It'd be interesting to see what it's actually like behind closed doors. We kind of get just that question of, it's going to be bad. Yeah, and that's it. Mm. And and obviously when you find out that she's pregnant, which, wow, yeah, it's going to be a lot for both of them. Mm. I suppose our, our way into that is um, Nick's twin sister, isn't it? Margot, yeah, because you see her crying on the kitchen floor, and yeah, I think that might be me as well. Which we should actually give a mention to because we haven't mentioned her so far. Um, no, she's great. Plays a ma- yeah, yeah, she's awesome, um, but she does play a really big part in in supporting Nick uh, through, throughout the film and throughout his his journey. I would like to finish this episode by thanking you for agreeing with me that Amy is the main character because she's the one that we've been talking about this whole time. When did I do that? Well, we've been talking you, about you, the main... In, inception me. <laughs> well, thanks very much, folks. Um, and we'll be back. If you've got any suggestions of films you'd like us to review or have a chat about, then let us know on our Instagram. Uh, not on my WhatsApp, I've been told. Not that I'll do that one. Don't give away your number to strange people. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be very strange, but it might be nice people. <laughs> Well, thanks very much, folks, and we shall speak to you soon. Bye.